Welcome to Resilient Entrepreneurs, the podcast where we speak with business owners and entrepreneurs from around the world and from all walks of life in the hope that something you hear will leave your business a little richer. We're your co-hosts, Vicky and Laura from 241 Branding, supporting entrepreneurs as they launch their business to market. It's our favorite thing to do. Well, after chatting to our amazing, fantastic, fascinating, phenomenal guests on this show. Okay, overkill the geek. If listening to this show is one of your favorite things to do too, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening or watching on now, and you'll be notified of the next great episode. So Giuseppe Grammatico is our guest today. He is the founder of Franchise Freedom. We thought it would be interesting to chat with Giuseppe because there's all kinds of thoughts and beliefs around franchises and it will be great to have this conversation. Giuseppe's mission is to help unhappy corporate executives become their own boss through full-time franchise ownership, or to scale up a lucrative side hustle or to build an investment portfolio through some unique absentee ownership franchising models. Giuseppe, it's great that you could join us. Welcome. Thanks, Vicki and Laura. I really appreciate it. It's uh, excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Thank you. I'm very interested in this conversation. I have some thoughts myself. Oh, cool. I'm not going to get into them <laughs> right away, <laughs> but I do want to ask you, like, can you explain a little more about what you do and how it all works? Because I think there's a lot of people don't understand basically franchising as a whole. Like, what does it mean? There's an owner that owns a big business and then they franchise it out and it spreads across the country, et cetera. But can you give us a better definition then than mine? Sure. Well, I, I start off with kind of what we do is if, if you've ever had a job that you just didn't like and you were looking for something else and, and that something else may be a business, that, that's where we help. It's it's essentially franchising is, is a business on training wheels, uh, something where the infrastructure has been built for you, the systems, the processes have, have all been built for you so that you can run with that business. And um, I talk about on this show, the unfair advantage you're able to get up and running uh, in as little as 30 days uh, from signing a franchise agreement. So a, fr a franchise is really, it's your own business. And that's been a misconception it, where you own the franchise company owns a part of it, you own a, a piece of it. A, a franchisee, so a franchise owner is someone that has their own legal entity, their own business, and they're essentially buying the license, the, uh, the system from the franchise company. So a McDonald's franchisee, owns their business. It's 100% theirs. And in return, they pay a royalty at, for the ongoing support uh, from McDonald's. And they're, they're offering support, training, you know, helping find employees and, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, so a franchise really is that support mechanism. And not everyone wants that. So it's really for the person that wants that support system and everything set up. Other people that I talk to like to really create everything from the ground up, including the colors and the logo and the fonts. And that's okay as well. But that's the key differentiator is uh, is really having the system and and uh, really kind of like I did when I started back in 07, generating revenue literally day one uh, after trainings. Yeah, I can definitely see what a great advantage that is uh, as a person who works with entrepreneurs, who is an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. the startup phase is, is the hardest and it can right. be several years before you're even profitable um, when you're building from scratch. But my argument has always been is a franchise owner an entrepreneur or not? I mean, I want to say not. I want to say mm -hmm. it's a business owner and there's a difference between the two because for me, an entrepreneur is a person who creates something from scratch and does that whole startup thing. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. 
that's a very, very good. And it's, it's not about right or wrong. In, in my opinion, I think it's, it's the outcome. So it's more of the label entrepreneur. It could be business owner. It could be a, a consultant. I'm a one man operation. Is that truly a business? And uh, actually I did a show on this and I really said it, it everyone has a, it could make the argument and that's fine, but really it's the outcome. So what are you you know going for? And with the franchise, the system is built for you. So with a startup, you, you develop everything. So that, that's pretty, we know what a startup is. On a franchise, you definitely have some autonomy on how you run the business so that the system is there. So going back to the example of McDonald's, since that's global, everyone's heard of it. You're not going in with the intention uh, to add pizza to the menu uh, unless they have pizza at McDonald's where you live. But in, in the US, we don't have pizza. So uh, you're not going there to change the menu. It's really to say, I'm going to follow the system because my why is really to be not too involved in the business so that I can coach my my son's soccer games, which I became a soccer coach, or go to my my daughter's Girl Scout and the, uh, the pottery classes and all that kind of stuff. So yes, the, the, you, you can entrepreneur, consultant, business owner, but at the end of the day, it's what is it? You can call it whatever you like, as long as it's getting you to your why. And that's how I kind of respond to it. But yes, there are going to be absolutely differences between the two. Yeah, Giuseppe, we also have had an episode, uh, this show, where we mm. were talking to a very, um, very colorful chap, and he absolutely adamantly refused to call himself an entrepreneur because he called himself a consultant. It's <laughs> different strokes for different folks. As you right. said, it, a bit of it is semantics. Um, we like to play around with it a bit. Obviously, the mm. name of the show is Resilient Entrepreneurs. Right. So we like to uh, just you know, dig around and really be curious about what entrepreneurship is and what that leads to. I love your answer that it's really about the outcome and your why and what is it that you're wanting to achieve. And ultimately, that's why we're all in business. Some people will be in business just to make money. Others will be in right. business to make a difference, to Agreed. move the needle for other people, to solve problems that aren't being solved by um, other businesses. So what problems do you solve um, in your business as you help people understand what franchises are? Yes, I don't sell anything is kind of the, the line that I use. So, so the problem I solve is getting people clear on their options. So I am a franchise consultant. That's how I get compensated directly from franchise brands. But uh, in my conversations, uh, not everyone is a good fit uh, for franchising and not everyone's a good fit for business ownership, which is actually the first step. And people like to bypass it and go into my good fit for franchising. And I go, franchising is a business. So let's figure out if, if business ownership is the good fit. And sometimes every the boxes check off and uh, there's no funds to, to invest in the business. So a franchise is going to uh, you know, have a franchise fee. Uh, whereas with a startup, maybe you can go a little bit less. You're not paying that fee. But I'm, a, I'm a, an investor. I'm a finance guy prior to, to, to franchising. So it's the time value of money. You know, how quickly did that startup take you three years to get up and running? So I always look at it that way. But going back to with, with business ownership, why are you doing it? And if you're doing it just for the money, you know, I usually look for a little bit more than that because money is definitely important. But I I also look for, it's, this has to be sustainable, right? You're, you're going to be living and breathing this business. And if it's just for the money, why not just get a high paying job or go into sales or, or something like that? This is something you're going to be building. There's going to be resale value at the end of the day. Uh, your why is going to be different um, than my why. Maybe to 
build a legacy for my family and for my kids to take over, uh, or it just may be to make an impact in my community. So everyone has different reasons, but really um, my job is to say, why do you want to typically leave your job? Um, it's education into, okay, if you do leave your job, hypothetically, you, you can keep that job and run a business on the side. There are options around that as well, but it's more education. It's more your advocate and, and, and giving you all the angles there, the good, the bad, the in-between, and really making each person we work with kind of decide on their own, knowing what you've heard today, knowing that you can invest 200000 in a franchise and lose your investment as you can with any other business. Does that scare you? Does that keep you up at night? What will you do not to make that happen? So I, I like to challenge everyone I, I work with. And once we get clear together that it, uh, franchising may be a good fit, we work together. And if uh, the money isn't there or the timing isn't right, we put together an action plan to, to check in every six months until maybe the liquidity or uh, certain depths are, are paid off prior to the uh, making that investment. So what kind of person is a really good fit for franchise ownership? A good fit. So someone that can follow a process, someone that is, we, we lay it out. We have a process and we work together. It's very simple. And then we introduce you to a franchise company. If you can't follow the process, you are not going to be a good fit to, for the franchise. Uh, so for example, was working with someone, they, before having the introductory call with the brand, they wanted to talk to all the franchisees in the system and I go, it doesn't work that way. Technically nothing could stop you. You could just go online and, and look them up. But if you want an introduction, it's done later. Why is it done later? You need to be educated on what the business and the opportunity is. And if it's a good fit, why start calling all these franchisees when maybe the brand or that that specific business wasn't a good fit? So to follow the process, they're going to ask for financial information to make sure you, you qualify. And uh, if that's going to be difficult in the very beginning, we've had franchise companies come back and just say, you know what? I know you feel this is personal info, but in order for us to help you, kind of like when you're buying a home, what's your budget? Um, you know, you're not going to say a million bucks or a or hundred million bucks. It's going to have to be some type of range. An openness to to work with the franchise owner, follow a system, to have some money. Right, a business is is there's going to be some capital involved, so um, there's going to be a time commitment as well. This isn't a set it and forget it. Um, whatever franchise you, you look at, there's going to be a lot of work, regardless of the franchise, to learn the business, hire the staff, uh, go to training and things like that. So it's really setting the expectation like this is what it looks like. This isn't kind of you just drop, put money into the fund and then the, the company runs itself. So really setting the expectation and then the uh, they work directly with the, the franchise companies. And if the franchise companies see any red flags, they'll bring it up. Either they'll bring it up to me or directly to that person. And that's not a bad thing, by the way. Red flag is, you know, this person is, is really introverted. They're kind of scared of their own shadow, I jokingly say. We really want someone more, you know, more of an extrovert, more, you know, going out there and selling. And just the personality traits are, probably aren't a good fit for this particular franchise. So that's what I like about franchising. They, they really know who's a good fit for that specific uh, franchise. And uh, Giuseppe, you talked, or uh, I think we talked in the intro about absentee ownership mm -hmm. franchising models. Is there such a thing? Or are you still very much involved at some level? Yeah. So there, there's three levels. There's a uh, full-time ownership. That's uh, where basically you're leaving your job, diving in full-time. Some franchise companies require that, at least initially, to get the, uh, the business off the ground. 
The most popular, what we call uh, semi-absentee, and there's so many different semi-absentee, semi-passive, and really all that means in its simplest terms, keeping your job and running a business on the, on the side. Now, there are many businesses that fall in this area, but you really have to know what you're looking for in these specific brands. Just because they say they're semi-absentee, you want to challenge that. And what I tell people is that there's two, two key areas, the franchisor, and then there's usually a manager uh, component. The franchisor is basically what what are you offering me to make this semi-absentee? So things we see are turnkey marketing. We have an in-house turnkey marketing program where you don't have to worry about marketing aside from overseeing the KPIs and the spend and making sure your, your ROI is there. And those leads, where are they going to? In the past, they were going to a voicemail because the owner was out in the field working uh, or a manager who was out in the field working. So now they're going to a call center again. That's at the headquarters of the franchise or so what does that do? Well, that as far as the investment, you don't need an office. You don't need to hire all these people because you're essentially having the franchise or provide that for a fee. There's going to be a flat fee for that. Uh, so support is going to be huge. And on the flip side, just as equally, and this is the area I see 90 plus percent people uh, that I work with, not really look into this area, forget about this area. It's the manager. The manager is not just as, okay, someone running the day to day. It's someone running the day-to-day that knows exactly what your schedule is. So if you are um, working in an office nine to five and can't be bothered, that manager has to be empowered to make certain decisions because at 9 a.m., they get an email from an irate customer. They can't wait until 5 p.m., you know, eight hours later uh, for a response. So that manager uh, has to be freed, has to be empowered to make decisions and know when they can work with you, what what the expectations are. So I think that's the area that's that's missed for the most part. Uh, so those cr- two key criteria uh, make it semi-absentee. Lastly, uh, semi what we call semi-passive is a new area. Uh, we see a lot of money coming from Wall Street as an alternative investment. These are businesses that are similar to the hotel industry where there's a management uh, structure in place. So what happens is you buy a home service type of business, you pay an additional management fee, which is typically a a percentage of the gross revenue. And the franchisor, as well as the general manager, will run the day-to-day for you, allowing you to own the business anywhere in the country and will allow you to uh, simply check in, um, just say weekly or every other week via a Zoom call, just to check in on things. You still own the business, but it's for someone that just really has minimal time to invest in the business. So that's something new. There there are few options in that area, but I see that area growing uh, in the next couple of years. So it exists, but it's kind of like, what what is the right fit for me? And who's truly out of all these companies, you know, who is just 4,000 brands in the US. I don't know about globally. So it's like, which are the ones that are truly going to support me uh, given my current situation. And uh, that takes time to to really go down and do that due diligence. Do you think it's important that the franchise owner has a passion for whatever it is that they're going to be going into business with? No, not at all. I think I've learned that the hard way. The passion piece, in my in my opinion, I know everyone has a different opinion, but I, I, I feel very, very strongly about this. Passion, I think is, I think people look at it the wrong way. And I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a story, and we I won't name names of brands or anything, but uh, you know, golf, for example, there were there were some executives that worked in the uh, on Wall Street that were very passionate about golf. They played golf every day. They wanted their own business, so they bought a golf franchise to never play golf again. 
So what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is what business are you truly in? And sometimes when you look at the sport of golf, which I'm not a fan of, I know I may get booze for that, but I just, I'm not into golf, but I'm a, I'm more of a soccer guy. As far as golf goes, they got into a retail business that worked nights, weekends, holidays that had tons of turnover. College, college kids were leaving for college in the summer. They were working extra. So they left the sport and the passion that they really enjoyed as kind of their their way to really kind of end the day or entertain clients to something they were doing daily. And they ended up hating the sport of, of golf and eventually closing that business. So I think that when you look at the passion piece uh, of anything, the passion to me, and, and this took me many, many years to really kind of uh, figure out was the passion for me was was more of the why. And I kind of put those two together. So the why was spending time with my family, never to miss another event. I became a soccer coach, never have not missed a soccer game. My son's 16 years old, uh, sophomore in high school. So that was a passion. My daughters and Girl Scouts get to get to go to her event. So the passion piece was a combination of my why and what was being achieved from the business. I didn't, I didn't really care what the business was, if it allowed me the time to do that. But on the flip side, what the other part of the passion piece was what I'm doing in the business. So first year, it's tough. You're getting the business up and running. Second year, I'm like, okay, these are the things I enjoy doing, whether I'm in a, a restoration business, a cleaning business, or the eyelash extension business. I just spoke with someone about that. The role is the same. I get to talk to people. I get to go to Chamber of Commerce events and uh, really uh, get involved in the community. So I look at passion is, yes, it's important, but sometimes your passion, like the sport of soccer is my passion. We go to the local soccer games, the college games. If that was involved in my day-to-day, I may truly lose the passion for the sport if that's what I'm doing day in, day out. Over my years, that that you know, my, my thoughts have kind of changed, but that's how I kind of look at it. And uh, I'd be curious to your thoughts because that's it's, it's an evolving thing, my, my viewpoints on this. Yeah, I really respect that. And I think there's a lesson in there for entrepreneurs as well, that you don't necessarily have to create something that you are super passionate about, but something that you know is needed in the community. And then you're right, your passion can be what's outside, which is a lot of people's argument for staying in a job too, or you know, nine to five, where they can clock out at five and go do everything they want to do, their fun hobbies and stuff. And they don't have to think about work till they clock back in again. Right. Versus an entrepreneur that's like never off. So it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and it's and it's interesting because of ownership different because right. you can own a business and someone else can manage it. And it can give you the financial freedom you need to then go and travel if travel is something you truly love. Or like you and I very much about our kids and it's sorry, it's football, by the way, I'm just going to correct you. It's not soccer, it's football. Um, yes, yes, I know. I know. Well, being <laughs> being in the States and I'm not a football fan either, I'm going to get booed for that. So, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, <laughs> calcio in Italy, we call it, but Yes, I, I don't know why football is called football in America. It just that's <laughs> I'll never understand. There's a reason I have heard a story, forgotten it now in detail, uh, so I won't. I'd be curious it. to that because I, I have is, no idea. There is a reason. There is a reason. So tell us, you wrote a book mm-hmm. on franchise freedom. Is that right? Yes. So tell us about that. What what led you to writing a book? That's pretty. Well, here's a book, and I and we did it. It was very eye catching and mustard yellow, as I jokingly say. Looking back, I'm like, yeah, make me, me chose a different color, but. So our service is essentially free. You know, we, we're paid by franchise companies. So there's really no cost to, to the service offering and, and how we're able to help people. And I said, some people are just not ready to talk. I noticed that 
Sometimes I'm looking at a particular service and I just don't want to talk to that individual at this point. I just want to do my own research and read about it uh, until I'm, I'm comfortable having that conversation. It's that buyer journey. So uh, someone challenged me when we launched the, the show Franchise Freedom as well back in uh, February of 2020. They said, why don't you just get everything out of your head and create a blueprint for someone so that if, uh, for example, they weren't ready to talk to you, they have an idea of the entire process. So if they wanted to find a franchise on their own, so be it. They, they can go ahead, read the book, and that's my blueprint. And the blueprint is not just about franchising. It's about building your team of financial advisor, your attorney, the entity structures, your accountant, how they all have to kind of work together. So we give a lot of advice, successor plans that no one talks about, and who's your backup if you get hit by a car tomorrow and, and, and what happens to the business. So I said, let me get everything out of my head. It's a 48-page read. It's it's a 30 minutes. I time myself. Um, I'm going to create an audiobook uh, version as well. And uh, I said, let's give it away for free. We, we sell the hard copy on Amazon, but I give everyone the free download on the site. And I want to give everyone an equal shot. You don't have to come for money, wealth. You don't have to have a, a PhD or a college education. Let's give everyone the exact same information, arm them with what they need to know. And it's up to them if they want to take action. And if they want to work with me, I bring my experience to the table and my and the connections with the franchise companies. And if not, they can easily follow the same exact system and go ahead and, and do the research on their own. So wanted to give back. It's information I never had. So I said, why not? Why not put it out there? And I we get a lot. And, and usually the feedback I get in the book was, love the book. Didn't pass the first chapter. We just want to dive into uh, it with you. So that seems to be a very common uh, theme as they get excited and they just end up wanting to talk to me anyway. That is such a giver's game, such a go-giver's approach. And I love that you are very happy for someone to go ahead and do it without you if that's where they're at. Uh, right. And like you said, the buyer's journey, it just whets their appetite on what's possible and you're seeing the results of that. I, and I also really love that you're making an even playing field. Um, a, people are starting to know about you because of the book, but right. B, they're they're the same as the person who has $100 million to invest in five yeah. McDonald's. Coming from, a, well, here I am in Australia where franchises are very often, I, I mean, I don't have the statistics, but anecdotally i'd say more than 50 percent of franchises are owned by immigrant families because they're buying a job they have a way to make a living uh, when they land in australia and it's fabulous whether it's a fast food chain or a 7-eleven equivalent uh, and so this book could well help that as well and to that point you don't need millions of dollars like you need with some of these uh, brands i mean for 100,000 to 200,000 us is a pretty typical range um you can get into a franchise cleaning restoration uh roofing uh, painting the, the the list goes on so i like to kill these myths that you need all this money and it's all fast food uh i specialize in the in the uh non-sexy types of businesses restoration crime scene cleanup uh, things that you wouldn't even think of as a franchise. And I said, why not? I mean, it's not flashy like McDonald's, but there's no correlation between the investment and your return. The correlation, or, or I should say the in increasing the odds is sustainability, something that's in demand, that's not a fad, that's recession resistant. I mean, the, the list goes on. So why not do something where you know you don't have to worry about the competitor moving across the street and, and eating up your market share? It's something where you can really 
uh, provide value and and not not have to spend maybe a fraction of what a McDonald's or I shouldn't knock on McDonald's, but you know some of the yeah. larger fast food chains cost. So yeah, you know you've piqued my interest now with that crime scene cleanup, haven't you? <laughs> crime scene. Crime- what other crazy, <laughs> wow, interesting, unknown franchises are out there? It's a uh, one dog waste removal. Um, is one of the fastest growing uh, industries. It, it's an industry that gets you in to the backyard. And then eventually, if you're able to offer additional services like irrigation and fertilization. Um, but there are franchises around mental health. There are franchises that give back to the community to combat the uh, childhood obesity epidemic uh, via childhood enrichment, offering uh, physical education programs to non-public schools. There is business coaching, eyelash extensions to uh, you know the, the people that like food. There, there are food franchises that are very simple uh, that uh, revolve around uh, sweets and donuts and things like that that are mobile. So you don't have this landlord to, to pay uh, a small staff of two or three employees as opposed to a few dozen employees. Uh, and the list goes on. If you can think of the business, I think, I think we said there was uh, 70 different industries you'll find franchises in. And if there's a business, someone can de- absolutely develop a system. So uh, it's pretty interesting. Giuseppe, you have your own podcast. It's called Franchise Freedom. I would uh, encourage anyone who is interested in knowing more about this to have a listen to that. Um, for the rest of our episode, I would love to get to know you a bit more and hear your stories of resilience. So what would you consider to be your most successful uh, your your biggest your greatest success story. Greatest success story is my family immigrated from uh, Sicily back in the seventies. So I'm the the first family member to go to college and then go back to grad school. So my success story was I jokingly say this, but my parents could, would always come back and say, you, you know, you think you have it tough? Think about what we had. We didn't speak English when we came to this country, and they ran a successful. Uh, Italian restaurant from 1975 to 2015. So 40, 40 year run, which is extremely impressive. So that the bar is well above, uh, I can't even reach the bars. So my, my success story is I took advantage of everything they gave to me, where they paid for all my education, the, uh, the working nights and weekends, which I wasn't a thrill of working at a restaurant as a high school and college kid. Looking back that that made me who I am today. I wasn't given anything. Um, I actually didn't learn the English language until I was six or seven. So I really took advantage of, of everything they gave to me to, to make this a uh, successful business. I, I sold my last business in 2020 just to, to, to launch the podcast and write the book and just focus on my uh, consulting business. So uh, someone had taught me years ago the, the mindset shift of what if you fail? Someone came to me and I don't remember who it was, which really upsets me. I don't know if it was a one-on-one or in a group conversation, but someone said, I don't know if it was directly to me, but anyway, they said, what if it works out? What if you don't fail? And I get goosebumps just thinking about it because I'm like, yeah, we, we always think of what if it fails, but what about if it works out? Jim Carrey spoke, um, and, I, and I forget, um, it was at one of the, the colleges, and he said that his father was could have been a huge, a, a phenomenal comedian instead uh, he took his boring job as a CPA because he considered that safe. Well, that safe job ended up in a layoff. And he said, and we're probably going to screw this up, but he basically came back and said, well, if you can fail at something you, you don't enjoy and you hate, 
Why not go for something that you really enjoy? And again, that was something Jim Carrey, I can quote all these people, but for whatever reason, it was late at night. It was a YouTube video, which I ended up watching the whole thing. And it was really interesting. And that's you know why he became a comedian. And he didn't become a comedian just for laughs. He became a comedian to release people of their pain, of their sadness. That's truly what he was doing. That was his passion. And that really struck me. And it's like, wow, you can fail. I can fail as a Wall Street executive. I could be canned and lose my job tomorrow and uh, left with nothing. So, you know, who's looking out for me? Really no one, right? I'm going to get a little severance, maybe some unemployment. In the US, I, I, I don't even know how long uh, unemployment goes for. So why not create something where I'm in control? And if I fail, it's, it's on me. But I, I said, put our life savings on the line and said, this, this has to work. And I just went in every single day and I just said, it has to work. And I just didn't, didn't even think of what if it fails. I just went in with that mentality. And I think that's what uh, that made me successful. Anytime I get an email or phone call, I return it. And that's uh, my, my second piece of advice, which is pretty, uh, pretty basic. And most entrepreneurs fail at that simple action of, of returning email and voicemail. So you can tell I get a little passionate in that area, but it definitely brings back some, some good memories. Can we go back to sort of the beginning of your career and mm -hmm. your experiences in, as an entrepreneur? And you talked a little bit about it. But tell us what it was like in the early stages. And you just kind of mentioned about the sort of not having a plan B, right? Just having that plan A. But were, did you have moments of like, this isn't for me? Talking yes. about failure. <laughs> did you have those doubts? How did, yes. that, how did you manage with those? I went in, I had when, when people congratulated me, they said, what, what is your plan B? And I said, that's a, that's a really poor question. Why would you ask that? I think that and I, I look back and, and certain people, maybe they just weren't intentional. I don't think they meant it in a negative way, but um, yes, absolutely. There were, there were days and if my wife was here, she would tell you the same where I, I thought of throwing in the towel because I'm like, this is difficult. Franchise or not, you know, not getting paid for three months, although we had savings aside and we knew, we just said, I'm not going to pay myself the first year, worst case. And it went three months, month four, luckily I was able to start paying myself. But I said, wow, even though I knew this was to be expected, it was much more difficult. So yes, I, we had some you know, customers maybe cancel or a, a manager leave unexpectedly and it happened. So there, there were some bumps and with every bump, uh, I started working with a, with a business coach and she said, all right, well, how do we prevent this from happening or not prevent it? You know, we want to make the odds of someone leaving decrease those odds, but how do we keep them on? How do we incentivize them? How do we have a backup of individuals in the event someone were to leave or if we suddenly have to expand? So that or my, my coach really helped me. It was difficult because the income wasn't there in, in the very beginning. It was something new. I went from running a restaurant with my family to being 100% on my own. It was definitely some, some scary times. There were some late nights and weekends. And uh, I tell everyone, semi-absentee, non-semi-absentee, whatever it is, it's a lot of hours to get started. So buckle up. It's a ride. It's a, it's a roller coaster of ups and downs. And just keep thinking of the prize. You know, the prize was kind of where I wanted to be at. So you needed that reminder. My, and my secret was I had my goals on a Excel document. I still have it. I upgraded to Google Sheets and I read them every day. It's my goals, where I want to be at for the year. And it's that reminder like, all right, it's a little bumpy right now, but this is where I want to uh, want to be, and I you know create some habits behind that as well. So uh, it's not easy. If I told everyone it was easy, I'd be lying to you. So just know that it's going to be rocky. You'll get through it, and just look for opportunity. If your head is down in the dumps and you're constantly uh, 
negative, you, that, that's the results you're going to get. So if you could just keep your chin up and, and talk to people that are energizing, don't talk to the, the people, I, I forget the, the mushes as we, as we call them, they just suck the energy out of you. Avoid them because yes, you, you may have friends that maybe are a little on the negative side or, or family members and that's okay, but just focus those conversations uh, with others that are growing businesses that have had success and it just keeps your spirits up. Yeah, that's really key. And of course, our podcast is called Resilient Entrepreneurs. So you have to be resilient to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> no doubt. Business owner, entrepreneur, whatever, yes, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. It takes resilience to get through. So how do you define resilience? What does it mean to you? Resilience to me is accepting what is and just moving forward and knowing that you're going to get some negative feedback. You're going to have uh, ups and downs. And resilience means just basically the power to move forward, to, to get through it. I think in its simplest terms, it's it's uh, you have to be resilient, no matter how much knowledge you have. If it was all about knowledge, then our PhDs would be the most successful business owners. So it really has nothing to do with knowledge, but going back to the basics, why you, you know, got into this business. No one wants to own a business, I think. I, I, maybe I'm wrong by that. I think they don't want to own a business because a business is a risk. It's a lot of work. I had black hair prior to starting and, and you could see the whites. <laughs> I think they need a business and I think the business is the vehicle. And that to me is the minor stuff. What's the vehicle? Is it a franchise? Are you a consultant? Are you a startup? Do you own a gas station? To me, these are the various vehicles and you can own them all. I invest in the stock market. I don't invest in real estate. You know, you pick and choose what you're comfortable at, kind of like what uh, uh, Warren Buffett talks about. So uh, you do what you know, you, you, you stick with it. And I think thing, good things will happen at the end of the day. So sounds kind of basic, but it comes down to the basic. It does. And I think what I like most about this conversation is that you've really shown a different path uh, for people out there who are maybe looking for something else, maybe aren't happy in their current life mm -hmm. situation with, a, say, a nine to five, and they're looking to get out and maybe own a business, run a business, become an entrepreneur. This is a different path. And this is a way to really get to business right. ownership very quickly with a lot of support. And I think that's the piece about franchising that most people kind of miss or don't understand or or they think they're selling out, but what you're getting, you invest in a lot of support back. It's interesting in Bermuda, we don't allow franchising. So I don't know if you noticed, ah, you yeah. mentioned in our pre-talk <laughs> that uh, you'd visited Bermuda and um, there is no Yeah, hey, You're right. I don't think it was There's only no a few Starbucks. days. Yeah. Yeah. There's one franchise that, that got in before the law was passed that stops franchising for the reason of being a very small nation, keeping normal mom and pop shops and businesses open and, and doing their own businesses. So it's it's interesting. And I think I come from that mentality more because of where I'm from. But it's interesting to have this kind of conversation because mm -hmm. you've definitely enlightened me a lot. And uh I, I want to look at it also from the perspective of the, the one who owns all the franchises that licenses, does the licensing. Like that's a different person, the owner of the entire business licensing. Are that, yeah. We may have to have a part two and have that conversation about- The mastermind behind the uh, the franchise. Yeah, they are, because yeah. that's something really like that yeah. will take a business from doing well, being successful to- multi-millions, maybe billions and beyond, right? That's a whole nother level. It's true. Yeah. 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 We have some clients who we're currently working with who I've often thought once we get these guys launched and really up and running and well-tested, definite franchise material, they could absolutely start franchising this globally because their idea is so unique. 
It isn't being done right. somewhere else. They have a fantastic system because we've been working with them for a while. It may well be worth another episode, Giuseppe. I like yeah, that there, idea, Laura. Yeah, there's some really cool aspects. If, if there's one takeaway for everyone listening in, the grass isn't always greener, as I tell everyone. You are miserable at your job. Oh, let me quit and start a business. That is not your answer. You, you have to do your due diligence. You have options, but uh, maybe it's just a new job. I personally interviewed all over the place. And I'm like, man, I'm a, uh, you know, a, a nobody. There's five or 10 managers above me, big company. I just don't like this environment. I didn't grow up in that environment. So just because you're unhappy with the job, figure out why. Is it your manager? Is, is, it, is it the career? Is it a dead-end job? And maybe interview elsewhere. Don't jump ship. Do your due diligence. Talk to somebody. Download the book if, if you want to look at franchising or, or talk. Just talk, simply talk and spend a day with a, a small business owner because- Small business owners are great. They they wear multiple hats and they do different things. So spend the day, uh, buy them lunch, whatever the case may be. I think that's the best advice uh, I can give them. And they're going to be honest. They have no incentive to sell you on the business and they'll give you the the good and, and the ugly. But keep in mind, business ownership is not for everyone. And you need some you need some thick skin. You need to know what you're getting into. You need to realize you can lose money, but you can also change the trajectory of your life and, f- and future generations to come. So uh, a lot of stuff there. And I just, I tell that to everyone, you know, when people ask me, should I own a business? I go, I don't know. We've only been talking for five minutes. I don't know enough about you to, to tell you that, but ultimately you have to have that conversation with your family, which is, uh, what I talk about in the book. Don't just do something on the fly and not tell your spouse, your kids or, or, or your family, let them know because life is going to be different that first year. You're not going to be around for a lot of the, uh, things going on. So, uh, let them know, make sure everyone's on board and tell them the reason you're doing it. Perfect. And perfect way to end this episode. Thank you so much, Giuseppe. It's been a great conversation. We'll see Thanks, you guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Visiting soon.